Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good to be here with you this morning. Um, happy Fallback Sunday. Ooh, every, I, I told the guys this last night. I texted them, uh, the worship guys. I said, if you can't lead worship tomorrow morning, you're fired forever. Because like, literally, this is one of those Sundays on the calendar where everyone comes in happy. Like, and worship was okay. Was, we're going to keep them. You know, I don't know. Man, isn't it good to have Sam back too, huh? Some of you are like, I don't know who Sam is. Well, Sam Crabtree was here with us for years, like a decade. He is one of the true sons of our house. And a little over a year ago, we sent him to the Canyon City Vineyard out in Colorado. So it's really good to have him back and just, I don't know, man, that's just some good mojo, I feel, you know. I love seeing Sam up there and looking all like mountainy with his beard. Yeah. Also, did you notice how many bros we had on the stage this morning? Dude Rock could have broken out at any moment, you know? Yeah. All right. Hey, this is what I want to do this morning. Um, We're going to start a new series this morning, and it's going to be a really long series. Uh, It's going to be a three-month-long series. Uh, It's a series we're calling Three Journeys, uh, and it's really about spiritual formation, uh, about spiritual formation. And here's what I mean when I say the word formation. I mean uh, the ways in which we're formed uh, in our souls, the ways that we are shaped and uh, the ways that we become who we really, really are on the inside. Um, now, here's the other thing I want you to understand. When we begin to talk about formation, one of the things you kind of have to wake up to is the fact that everybody in the room right now uh, is already being formed. Uh, the truth is, you have already been formed. So the beginning of spiritual formation is awakening to the fact that you have already been formed, and every single day, you're continuing your formation. Like, there, there is a reason you are who you are. Uh, there are ways that have made you who you are, and it's not just DNA. There are patterns that we've developed. There are um, habits that we've created, and it makes us who we are. Now, here's the other thing about our formation. This is why it's so important and the reason we want to spend such a long time on this. Um, Our formation is in many ways determining how we will handle life, okay? And when I say that, I'm not talking about whether or not we'll be rich or famous, and I'm not talking about whether we'll be successful in the way the world counts success. But what I am talking about is I'm talking about uh, it is creating inside of us the kind of person we will become and it is determining, determining how we will handle success and failure and how we will handle blessing and hardship. That's what formation does. It doesn't mean you're going to be super rich, famous, and well-liked. What it does mean is formation is determining how I will handle success and failure. Can I tell you something? In this life, you will succeed and you will fail. In this life, you will experience blessing and you will experience hardship. And right now, every single one of us is on a progression of becoming someone who can either handle those seasons of life really well or not, right? So we want to talk about three different 
journeys. And here's what we're going to do over the course of this series. We're going to spend November on the first journey. And then we're going to take a month off and we're just going to do Advent stuff in December, right? We're just going to anticipate the coming of the Lord. And then in January and February, we're going to jump back in on this series and we're going to just keep unpacking it. So we're going to spend 12 different weeks. And you might be uh, thinking, well, what are the three journeys? Well, here they are. Uh, The interior journey, the exterior journey, and then the communal journey. All right? That's how we're going to break it up. Interior journey, exterior journey, and communal, or inward, outward, and corporate. And at this point, I would like to recommend a book for everyone in the church to buy. All right? Because it'll be really helpful to you. See this right here? Look up. (laughs) Spiritual classics. You see this right here? Everybody see this? Go on Amazon and buy this, all right? We're going to be following this pretty darn close. I will post a link on the church page, but I'll just give you a heads up. Some of you guys have the one-click thing happening on your phone right now. You can just one-click it. (laughs) Just one-click yourself into oblivion, you know? (laughs) Don't do that. That would be poor formation. (laughs) This is in many ways going to be our guide during uh, during this series. And one of the things that you will notice in this book is that, it's, that it's, is that it's set up exactly the way we're going to take it out. Uh, there are inward journeys, outward journeys, and communal journeys. And it's sort of a compilation of many um, historic writers within the great tradition of the church. There are Catholic writers, there are Protestant writers, there are people you have heard of, people you have not heard of. I've been reading this particular book for about five years. Uh, one of my very good friends gave this to me. I think I've read it seven or eight times. And it is great, okay? So this would be a great way to just begin to join us on this thing that we're doing as a church. So here's what we're going to do in November. We're going to take up the idea of an interior journey, the inward path. All month long, we're going to talk about the inward path. We're going to talk about allowing our faith to lead us inside. And you might be thinking, well, inside of what? Well, inside of our own life, uh, inside of our own thoughts, uh, inside of our own imaginations, um, we're going to come into contact with our hopes, uh, especially our desires. We're really going to get into contact with our desires. That's what an inner journey is. Uh, we're going to begin to hopefully discover our, our loves and our disgusts, the things that wake us up and the things that put us to sleep. That's what it means to take an inward journey when we're talking about spiritual formation. And there are four different spiritual practices or disciplines, if you want, uh, that can help us shape our inward lives. Uh, The first one is contemplation and meditation. The second one is prayer. The third one is fasting. And then the last one is study. And we're just going to take them out all four weeks. These are the things we're going to talk about because these are ways to have who we are in our souls in an inward way, shaped, okay? These are some of the practices that can strengthen us in our core. Um, Now, how many of you in the room understand that things can look good on the outside, but the inside can be weak and brittle? How many of you know that the, the outside of something can be 
really impressive, but the inside can be hollowed out in a shell. You know that? And it's the same thing with our spiritual formation as well. Um, a perfect example of this happened a couple weeks ago. Um, many of you in the room know one of our good friends here at the Vineyard, uh, Andy Squires, right? You guys know the, the Squires family? Uh, will you put up the first picture there? That's Andy's son, Henry. Henry is standing inside of a 200-year-old oak tree. So Andy and Amy just bought a new house in Charlotte. And one of the reasons they bought this home is because there, was, there were massive oak trees in the backyard. And they loved it, right? Well, they get moved in, and then a hurricane comes through, and everything's fine. And then the second hurricane comes through, and that 200-year-old oak tree literally disintegrated and fell straight onto their house. Right? Put the other picture up. Bummer time, right? Well, here's the reason I'm putting these pictures up this morning. It's a perfect example of what we're talking about in our own lives. The tree from the outside looked really strong, right? Go back to the one where Henry is in it. The tree, can you imagine? I mean, it's an oak tree that's so big that two people couldn't reach around it. And it was... 200 years old, and you can imagine the sort of shade that that kind of tree would provide. Imagine going into the backyard. You would stand in the backyard, and you'd be completely covered in its shade, and you'd be like, this is a magnificent tree. It is beautiful. It is strong. It is sturdy. It has stood the test of time. Everyone who went in the backyard was overtaken by the beauty and the strength and the shade that this tree provided, except the tree wasn't strong. It was hollow, right? And how many of you know that you can look good on the outside, people can think you have it together, you can come to church every single Sunday, but the truth is on the inside you can be hollow. Now why is this an issue? Here's why it's an issue. How many of you know that if a 200-year-old oak tree falls down, that's a bad thing, that's a bad moment. Like it's bad for the tree, right? The, you realize that tree's not coming back from that. That tree is over. That tree is dead. But, but see, the metaphor goes one step beyond that, doesn't it? And many of you already know where I'm going with this. How many of you know when a 200-year-old oak tree falls over, the tree is not just dead, but it does damage to everything around it? Right? Now, think about your own life. Think about your soul, right? Think about your soul. Think about, uh, think about how you look or how you appear, right? We put so much emphasis in this day and age on how we appear. Uh, we put so much, and I'm not just talking about how we dress. I'm talking about the way in which we posture in the world, right? Like our social media feeds, they are not true, you know? They're just not true. No one's is, you know? Selfie, 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 selfie. Yeah, it looks good on the inside, but oftentimes these are just telling stories of a brittle facade that has an interior that is hollow and it could be blown over at any time. And let me just tell you something. I'm not trying to be super ominous. I just want to tell you the truth. The truth is the winds of life are going to blow on you at some point, right? That's why we're going to take three months on this spiritual formation idea. The winds of life are going to blow. You're going to experience it. Now the question is, do you have a core that is solid and strong or is it hollowed out? right? And it cannot be answered by your social media feed. You know, the answer to that is not on your social media feed. It is not on Twitter. 
It is, it is on the inside. It is the interior of your soul. And if for some reason the winds of life blow against you and you are hollowed out, you could be blown over. And if you get blown over, it isn't just damaging for you. It's damaging for people around you. And it's always most damaging for the ones that are closest to you, right? Andy's tree fell on Andy's house. This is like a, it's like a prophetic metaphor for what happens to us when we don't have something solid on the inside. Now, let's just think about like disasters that we know, right? Some of us could think about our own lives or maybe some of the disasters that we grew up in. Maybe you had a dad who on the outside looked solid, but on the interior he was hollowed out, right? And then the winds of life blew and he fell down. And when he fell down, he didn't just break up his own life, but, but the disaster that was the lack in his core, it fell on your mom and you and your cousins and your aunts. Isn't this how it goes? Isn't this how it goes? Yeah, that's why we're going to take so much time here. Also, I just want to share you, with you one more idea before we hit the scripture this morning. And this is an idea that I've been talking about a lot with the staff uh, and the elders and the, uh, the finance and the leadership team here at the Vineyard. I've been talking about the fact that the issues of the core and the issues of our own inward formation, they can show up at any time, okay? They can really show up at any time. However, one of the things that I've noticed, especially after doing this, uh, this pastor gig for a couple decades, is that there are key moments in people's lives that seem to expose what's really happening more than other moments, okay? So I just want to tell you something right now. And in six months, I might tell you that this is not true, but this is just a theory that I'm working off of right now, and I think it's pretty darn true, okay? Here's how it goes. All right, so a baby is born, right? And how many of you know that when the baby leaves its mother's womb and is held in its mother's arms, that that's like a real big moment, right? There's a massive transition there for the baby and then for the mother as well. And then when a baby is weaned, how many of you know that's a really important moment, right? Why? Because for the first time in that baby's life, it's becoming more independent. Yeah. Then there's something really crazy that happens like when a person is like around kindergarten, you know, that's like a really, really important moment. And then the next important moment is, I mean, there's lots of important moments, but the really big ones are going to be like when a kid graduates somewhere between 18 and 21, there's a window there when there, when so much is hanging in the balance and things are really shaping and happening. And it's like super important. Then the next one, the one that we're seeing a lot here at this church is around your mid-30s. It gets real, y'all. In fact, I'm thinking of doing a home group next year uh, called So You Turn 35. <laughs> Why? Because people's lives explode somewhere in their mid-30s. Why? Because, uh, because the culmination of all the decisions that we thought were not important they eventually, they, eventually, uh, they eventually come together. All those tributaries come together and they form one really big river. And now this river has enough momentum, you cannot easily turn it. And you have ended up with the life that you have really chosen, somewhere around 35. And a lot of times people explode. And when they explode, uh, the reason they're exploding is because not only did they make a bunch of decisions that have come home to roost, but they might be exploding because they didn't do 
the slow and steady work with Jesus of building an internal core. Instead, what they've done is they've built a facade and they're hollow and the tree comes down. Does this, ma- does this, under- does this making sense, right? I-, I just want to tell you, there's something there. So like babies are born. There's something that's really important, you know, really, really important with, with kindergartens. There's something that's really important when a, when a young man or a young woman turns 18. And there's something really, really, really important for every single person in here when you get to be in your mid-30s. And there's other points too. But I'm really concerned by something that's happening in this church with people who are in their mid-30s and their lives are exploding, right? What is it? It is the revelation that we built a facade and we didn't build the internal structure to stand up against the storms of life and they are going to come. That's why we're going to do this. So what do I want to talk to you about this morning? That was a really long introduction, by the way. (laughs) This will be shorter. All right. I want to talk to you about contemplation and meditation. And we've got a scripture, if we can put it up this morning, Psalm 1. And we're just going to look at three verses. We have one key verse this morning, and it's verse two. I have it highlighted in bold and italics so that you'll pay attention. <laughs> it goes like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers. Key scripture this morning. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. They prosper in all they do. How many of you guys would like to prosper in all you do? See, here's the thing. And when the Bible says prosper, it's meaning like holistic, internal, external, communal prospering. You know, it's like, it's like the whole shebang, you know? prospering in your soul. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about contemplation and meditation. If we could just put that scripture back up for a minute, Seth, that'd be great. The word that the New Living Translation uses here is meditate. It's really the idea of contemplation. And when we use the word meditate, I need to just sort of like define that for you a little bit so that we can have some on-roads and on-ramps into what that means. Uh, some of us in the room, when we hear the word meditate, um, it just conjures up like images of like Buddhist practice or something, you know, like Eastern meditation. And in Eastern meditation, it's often about like emptying ourselves, you know, But Christian meditation is never about emptying ourselves. Christian meditation is always about filling ourselves, right? Look at verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it. Like being filled with the law of the Lord, contemplating and meditating on it day and night. So the goal of Christian meditation is never emptying. And the goal of Christian meditation is not uh, uh, blankness. The goal of Christian meditation is always to be filled and to have a new imagination. That's always the goal there. Um, And then you have to look at the scripture here as well. If we're going to be meditating or contemplating or being filled, well, what are we going to meditate on? Well, verse two says the law of the Lord. And and some of us are thinking, oh, great. Uh, The rules of God. I'm I'm going to meditate on the rules of God. Boring, you know? This is such a huge bummer. 
A couple things here. Uh, When the psalmist says the law of the Lord here, it means so much more than the rules. Okay? At a bare minimum, the law in this scripture would refer to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And how many of you know that the first five books of the Bible are not mostly the rules? The first five books of the Bible are almost completely uh, long narrative stories about people who had interactions with God. Right? Are there some rules in there? Yep, there are. But they're contained inside of a much longer narrative about how God finds people, uh, invades their life, and sets them on a new path and does crazy things with them. So the invitation to meditate on the law of the Lord is not an invitation to break out the most dry passage in Leviticus and bore yourself to tears, right? It's an invitation to take into account at least that first five books of the Bible to enter into the story of God's interactions with people and to consider the fact that he might be doing the same thing with you that he was doing with them. To consider the fact that God would not treat you different than he would treat Abraham, that if he would come and find Jacob, he would also do this with you, right? That's what it means to enter into God's story. Now, also, this is a, an invitation to just consider, like, the whole Bible. But I just want you to know that this is not about, like, just bore yourself with the rules. Uh, in fact, when I see the word law here, what I hear is the invitation to meditate upon the ways of God. That's really what it is. Like, contemplate the way, be filled with the ways of God, the story of God, the dealings of God. But this is not just reading. I think it's really important that verse 2 doesn't say, read the story of God or read the law of the Lord. It's contemplate, right? It's meditate on the ways of the Lord. Those are really, really different things. Need to change images here just for a moment. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but cows have multiple stomachs. (laughs) Segway. (laughs) Cows have multiple stomachs. I'm right. I'm right. Okay, come on. You may. I mean, you may have to help me here. I've got a. I've got a. I've got a farmer here in the room this morning. Cows have multiple stomachs. One of the stomachs that a cow has is called the rumen. Okay, it's called the rumen. Uh, this is where we get the word ruminate. Isn't this cool? Now, what happens in the rumen? Okay, so here's essentially what happens. Cows eat grass and they forage. They take this stuff in, it goes through the stomachs, it finally gets to the rumen. The rumen's like churning this stuff up. And then it'll send that, that stuff that it's churned back up and it sends it back up to the cow and the cow will chew on that a little bit more. You know, it's just che- you've heard the phrase chewing the cud, Right? Yeah, and then it'll swallow that back down, back down to the room and it's doing its thing, send some back up, chew some of that. This is how a cow digests what it feeds on. Okay, why? Because there are nutrients in grass and leaves and stuff that's out in the fields that can't just be acquired with one stomach or one moment of digestion. There are nutrients that have to be, that have to be held and processed and processed and processed in order to be acquired. Does this make sense? All right, that's a great picture for Christian meditation. (laughs) Christian meditation is to rumen the ways of God. It is to hold it. It is to to take it inside, like into your stomach. Read for that into your inmost being, right? 
right? In the Bible, like, like your, your spirit is, is your inmost meaning. When, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the organ here. It's always talking about the inmost being. Like it's, it'd be more in your stomach. Like a Jewish understanding of the heart is like down here, you know? So Christian meditation is to take the ways of God into your inmost being. Digest it. Take some of that back up and have another chew on it. Digest it again. Hold it. Why? Because just like grass is hard to get the nutrients that a cow needs out of it, sometimes the ways of God are not going to be easily processed and they have to be sat with for a little while. Ruminate. Man, I'm killing it. (laughs) So what what are the goals? What are the goals? of Christian meditation. The goals of Christian meditation are to increase our love for God. That's the goal. It's not to become more informed. It's not to become um, an expert in the Bible even. It's to become more in love with God. And I want to read you something out of this book. And it's from, it's from Thomas Merton. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read Father Merton every chance I get, Okay. This is Thomas Merton, and he's talking about the goals of Christian contemplation and meditation, all right? He says this. He says, There are so many Christians who do not appreciate the magnificent dignity of their vocation to sanctity, to the knowledge of God, His love, and His service. There are so many Christians who do not realize what possibilities God has placed in the life of Christian perfection, what possibilities for joy in the knowledge and love of him. There are so many Christians who have practically no idea of the immense love of God for them and the power of that love to do them good and to bring them happiness. We do think of the gift of contemplation, infused contemplation, and mystical prayer as something essentially strange and esoteric reserved for a small class of almost unnatural beings and prohibited to everyone else. It is perhaps because we have forgotten that contemplation is the work of the Holy Ghost acting on our souls through his gifts of wisdom and understanding with special intensity to increase and perfect our love for him. Why are we going to meditate on the ways of God? Because it will make you love him more. It'll, it'll awaken you to the fact that God loves you. You know, here's the thing. If you read a tiny little bit about um, Jacob and Esau, and if you don't read too much, if you'll just read until something kind of sparks, and if you'll just stop and hold it, if you'll ruminate, if you'll take it into your inmost being and keep it, actually make some space to think about it, it'll awaken you to the love of God because... If God would use someone like Jacob, he would certainly include you. It awakens you to the fact that God is like really kind and he will use cheaters to do great things and he will include people who didn't have perfect moral character at the beginning and he will also not forget Esau. That's also another part of the story. You know, he he includes Esau and then all these little figures begin to come out. You know, one of the people that I've been meditating on for over a year now is, is Hagar. Abraham's other wife. Let me just tell you, I've been so touched, not by the way that God has treated just Abraham and Sarah, but I've been profoundly touched by the way that God thinks about Hagar, the other woman. Why? 
Because God is so kind, right? Amazing. Amazing. So the goal of Christian meditation and contemplation is always, always, to have our love for God increase. Not necessarily to become an expert in the Bible, but just to have our love grow. Now here's what's funny. Um, I did this for years without even knowing it. I did this for years without even knowing that there was a thing called contemplation um, or that thousands and thousands of people through history had done this. Uh, from the early part of my pastoring gig here, when I was uh, prepping sermons, uh, I accidentally fell into contemplation and didn't know that's what it was, right? Uh, by the way, for the first four years that I was lead pastor here and was preaching every Sunday, I was almost nothing but a ball of anxiety. I just felt Sunday coming all the time, you know, just the pressure of preaching to the same people every single Sunday. There's a pressure there that's really weird because after a while you realize, I can't pull my tricks with you anymore, you know? And it's like, man, what am I going to do? And I, in that pressure or whatever, that anxiety, uh, God led me to the practice of contemplation. I didn't even know it. And so this is what would happen. I would read the scripture, or I'd read the, the text that I was going to preach on, and then I would uh, lean back in my, you know, my office chair, and I'd put my feet on my desk, and I would close my eyes, and I would just begin to think about what it was that I'd read, and I really wouldn't leave that moment for a while. In fact, I would oftentimes sit there with my eyes closed for 15, 20, or 30 minutes, just sort of like holding the story or the thrust of the narrative or, the, or one little passage into my mind, and I would just keep going over it and over it and over it. And then as I did this, um, insight began to grow in my life, and, and a deeper love for the scriptures and a deeper love for God began to take root. And, and something, something shifted. And, and a lot of times people ask me, well, man, Adam, how do you prep to preach? Like, probably the most common question that, like, ministry kind of people ask me in the last three years is like, dude, how do you prep? And I'm like, well, I read the Bible a little bit, probably less than you think. And then I close my eyes and I put my feet on my, on my desk and I, and I think about it. And they're like, well, yeah, what else? I'm like, that's kind of all I do. You know, that's kind of it. That's, that's the whole thing, you know. But what I've learned through this is the slower and the quieter processes and voices of God that can only be found by sitting with something, right? Uh, one of the things I've discovered over 10 years of preaching and prepping and, and, and meditating on the Word of God and, and thinking about it day and night is uh, that one of the biggest mistakes I was making was reading too darn much of it. You know, just like, why? Because it's, it's easier to hold a bite, you know, just hold one little thing and to savor it and extract it and, and to let it do its work much, much deeper. I'm not saying you shouldn't read big portions. You should. You need to get the big arc of the story. But then at a devotional level, most of us would do much, much better just to read a verse or two and as soon as our heart is pricked, stop and hold it. Why? It'll, it'll allow the love of God to grow in your life. You can mine the treasure that's there. Yeah. Okay. So how do we do this? A quick start to contemplation. Like, maybe you want to do that some this week. Hopefully, more than just this week. Hopefully, you're going to build your core. How? Um, a few steps. Number one, find a quiet place. 
Why? Because I'm easily, are you guys easily distracted? I am. Did you notice that in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, when, when you pray, like the assumption that you would pray, and then he says, uh, go to your closet, right? You know, and then don't tell anyone. Uh, it's very interesting to me that when Jesus talks about this sort of thing, he's, he makes a big deal about having a place, right? So find a quiet place. Why? Because we're all easily distracted. Like even first century uh, Near Eastern Mediterranean people were easily distracted and needed a closet. How much more people who have phones that are connected to the world, right? <laughs> find a quiet place. Then be quiet. Don't even do anything at the beginning. The first thing to do after getting quiet is to pay attention to the emotions and the thoughts that I'm bringing to the moment. Like, so if you have some anxiety or if you have a to-do list uh, that's sort of like at the top of your mind or if there's, uh, if there's some pain or if there's a, a relationship that's out of whack or if there's just some heaviness that you're carrying with you, the first thing you do before you begin to meditate with God is to acknowledge that you are in pain, that there is a relationship that's broken, that you are worried about your finances, and that you do have a to-do list and you need to rake the leaves. Here's, here's the funny thing. Acknowledgement really helps. You have to just acknowledge it. And so sometimes I will just tell God, you know, I want to think about you. I want to meditate on your word, but right now I'm really worried about this person. Or I'm really upset about this thing. And then that would be my whole prayer for that. It's just like to tell God, to acknowledge it to myself, I'm bringing this stuff to the moment, right? Acknowledge them. And then, then read some scripture, just a little bit. And then anything that sticks out, hang on to it. Then read the scripture again. And hang on even more to the thing that sticks out. Hold it in your mind and in your heart. And if you need to, you can just pray even one little part of the scripture that you've just read that sticks out to you. You might even just pray it. If you could turn it into a prayer, like a really short little mantra, and then, then you just hold it and you let it go quiet. And the reason you let it go quiet is because the Holy Spirit wants to speak. You know? He wants to speak. All right. How about this? How about we practice this morning? Would that be all right? Yeah. All right. Ministry this morning is we're going to practice contemplation as a group. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.